the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Peter. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. This all speaks of future tense, even though we experience His grace when we're saved, and we experience His grace every day of our lives. There's this, again, ultimate thing that He's pointing to. Because, you know, listen, when your life is in danger, uh, you, you can't really hold on to anything that this world has to offer. So that's why He's constantly saying, you know, listen, keep your focus on heaven, keep your focus on Christ, uh, prepare your mind for action. You know, guard your thoughts here. Be sober about this. Get serious about your faith. Are you taking your faith and spiritual maturity in the Lord seriously? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he emphasizes the fact that no one knows the day or the hour of the Lord's return. However, you're to be expectant, watchful, and diligent in growing in your faith. This is the time to really grow in the Lord and to know His Word. Pastor Gary explains that there's false teaching all around you. That's why it's so important to study and read the Bible. Now is the time to take your faith journey seriously. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Peter chapter 1, we began this study last week. We didn't get very far, so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. It's Well, for those of you who weren't here last week when we started into the book of 1 Peter, just by way of a, a quick summary so we know uh, who the writer is and what the intent is and who the recipients are, this was written as the letter suggests, the first epistle of Peter. This is the Apostle Peter. More was written in the Gospels about Peter than any other person with the exception of Jesus, so he is a major character within the framework of the ministry and life of Jesus. The date of this letter is significant. It has everything to do with the theme. 64 AD was the date of the letter. It was written, he says, from Babylon, but that's probably a euphemism for Rome. Um, And there's a reason why he is probably not specifically, explicitly saying Rome, because um, they are at a time in, in history which is uh, very unkind, to say the least, to Christians. The recipients of this letter are believers struggling in the midst of persecution, which all ties together, because as I mentioned last week, that from 64 AD to 67 AD, it became some of the worst years of uh, Christian martyrdom in, in history, um, notwithstanding the, you know, the last century, which is you know, combined, more Christians have been martyred than the previous 20 centuries combined. 
But the reason why 64 to 67 AD was such a terrible time for Christians is because Rome burned in 64 AD. Uh, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. It was believed that he was the one who actually set Rome on fire because the Roman Senate had denied him money to refurbish the city of, of Rome. And so it is believed uh, a few historians like Tacitus and Suetonius wrote about how it was believed that Nero was the one who set Rome on fire. It burned for six days, 75% of the city was destroyed, and then Nero blamed the Christians. And when that happened, great persecution broke out among the Christians, and between 64 and 67 AD, um, thousands of Christians were martyred for their faith, among them Peter and Paul. They both will be martyred during that time period, 64 to 67 AD. So Rome had already burned, and, and Peter is writing this first epistle just after that uh, during a time of great persecution, which is why he is writing to these uh, recipients, trying to encourage them in their struggle against persecution, because they are being persecuted in the ultimate sense. Many of them are, are having their very lives required of them. So uh, we left off around verse 5 and 6, so I want to just uh, start again in verse 5, so we can see this theme as it continues, because that's kind of the, the background now leading into verse 5. He says, who are kept, talking about believers, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, you know, talking about your ultimate salvation and heaven as the ultimate reward, though now for a little while, uh, if, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So back up here at verse 6, where he then puts all this in context, as, as we understand the background, uh, Christians are dying for their faith, they're being persecuted left and right, they're being martyred, and so he's trying to encourage believers, listen, keep your ultimate focus on heaven, that's our ultimate reward, the fulfillment of our salvation, because in the meantime, you may have to suffer various trials, and, and he says, uh, you, you, you have been grieved by various trials there in verse 6, and he compares the, the testing of one's faith in a similar way to the testing of gold. And he says, now your faith is much more precious than gold, clearly, but in a similar way, as gold is tested and refined by the fire, your faith from time to time is going to be tested and refined in ways that will make it in the end stronger. Now, we don't always like to think about that, but that is just reality, that this world will have its share of trials and difficulties, and, and it will test our faith. But in the course of it testing our faith, it will cause our faith to become stronger, to become uh, you know, more valuable to us when we begin to, to see how the Lord has sustained us and helped us through various trials. So, you know, again, the context of this passage is people are, they're dying for their faith. So they're under, you know, the most intense kind of testing. But there will come various 
kinds of testings of our faith that we will have to go through in the course of this Christian journey. Don't let that, you know, harden you. Let that strengthen you, right? Don't let that cause you to become bitter. Allow that to cause you to uh, become stronger in your faith. You know, James will write in a similar way in James chapter 1, verses uh, 2 to 4. He says, consider it, and this is hard for us, right? But consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you suffer trials of various kinds. He says, knowing that your, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And James goes on to say, because perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So in other words, James says, the testing of our faith helps to bring about maturity. If we would just persevere, we will become mature through it. We'll become stronger as a result of it. Uh, in, in Psalms chapter 66 The psalmist writes in verses 10 through 12, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You have caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But you brought us out to rich fulfillment. So the writer of of Psalm 66 basically says, listen, there are some things that God actually allows to come our way for the purpose of strengthening our faith. And that the one who is sometimes the one who allows it is also the one who in the end will accomplish his good purposes in our lives. And so, you know, if you're in the midst of some trial right now where you feel like your faith is being tested, hold on because you'll come out stronger on the other end of it. And God will see you through it. And God is faithful. It is difficult when you're in the midst of it. And it seems counterintuitive when you hear James says, consider it pure joy. And Peter here starts out that section by talking about how in this you greatly rejoice, many your salvation, though now for a little while. And he talks about rejoicing further down in verse 8, though now you do not see him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, unspeakable joy. It's the only time that this phrase is used in the entire New Testament. He talks about how there's this inexpressible joy in the relationship we have in Christ, even though now for a little while we may have to suffer various kinds. It's the testing of our faith that's going to purify and refine our faith. There are some things in our lives that only God knows needs to be refined. And just as silver and gold is refined through the intensity of the heat and then the impurities rise to the surface and then those things are skimmed off so that it might become more uh, precious metal and more valuable, so it is sometimes with our faith. We will go through things that will be the testing of our faith. And so Peter is saying, you know, don't lose heart. Keep, keep your ultimate focus on the Lord. Our ultimate reward is heaven. Okay, we're, we're only passing through and there will be this testing of our faith. But the same God who tests us and refines us is the same God who brings us out on the other side stronger and better for it. And so, verse 8, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, this is how verse 9 ends, the salvation of of your souls. You know, it's interesting that in the New Testament, salvation is spoken of in all three tenses, past, present, and future. Uh, I'll just read them to you. Ephesians 2, 5, Paul says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been 
saved. So he, he speaks of it in the past tense. Like when we come to faith in Christ, now that's a done thing. But then in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Romans 5.10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved in this life. It's interesting, all through the Bible, it speaks of salvation as a, a thing that has happened when we get saved, a thing that is happening as we work out our salvation, and a thing that shall occur when we receive the ultimate fulfillment of salvation when we go to heaven and we're with the Lord. So salvation is this ongoing, all-inclusive thing that, that was and is and shall be. And Peter writes in a similar uh, future kind of tense here where he talks about, hey, you're ultimately going to receive future tense. The end of your faith is the salvation of your soul. So don't lose heart. Verse 10, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. All right, so let's unpack that section there. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament prophets. Now, some scholars believe, and I would disagree with this, and I think Peter's going to disagree with this, but some scholars believe that the Old Testament prophets were only speaking to their generation about moral issues and challenging their generation regarding moral and spiritual matters, and that they knew what they were doing and had complete understanding of all the implications of of their utterances. And, And they dismiss anything futuristic or prophetic that the prophets were speaking. Now, if, if, you, if you think that the prophets were only addressing moral and spiritual issues of their day, then you have to remove the whole idea that they were also prophesying about the Messiah. And Peter here is going to basically say that the prophets spoke not only to the people of their day, but more so to the people of the future who would experience the coming of the Messiah, that the prophets understood although not to the fullest extent, but they understood that they were speaking to a generation that would ultimately receive and experience the the grace that came through Messiah, who had not yet been revealed in their day, but who would be revealed in another day. And Peter says, now that Christ has come, this is what the prophets were speaking of. And you have been the beneficiaries of the Messiah who came and died on a cross for your sins. And thus, when they were speaking of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that that would follow, uh, he says in verse 12, To them it was revealed that not to themselves, that they understood to some degree that Messiah was not coming in their lifetime, but they were prophesying about Messiah coming in the days ahead. And Peter says, this is exactly what lines up with the gospel that has been preached unto you, that what the prophets foretold has been fulfilled in Christ, grace and truth personified. And Peter says, this is what we've been preaching to you. 
that you can receive this kind of grace through the gospels that have been through the gospel that has been presented to you the end of of verse 11 uh, by the holy spirit sent from heaven and then notice how he ends verse 11 things which angels desire to look into you know um we have the benefit of being in in a a class all to ourselves that is to say that when on the sixth day god created man when humanity was created humanity was created with the express intent by god to have fellowship and relationship with him now that fellowship and relationship was interrupted when sin entered the human race and it was recovered when christ died on a cross so that through faith in Jesus, we can have our sins forgiven, fellowship restored, relationship restored, and then ultimately, again, when we get to heaven, the fullness of our salvation realized, okay? Um, angels don't enjoy that. Uh, angels, angels were created by God, for God, uh, for the purpose of serving Him and worshiping Him and attending to Him. Um, and surrounding the throne and, you know, acknowledging his holiness. And, uh, uh, and, and yet they, they don't have the same opportunity for relationship and fellowship that we do. And so he says here, you know, angels, they, they desire to look into all this. You know, NIV says they, they, um, they have a longing for this. And, and there's, this, there's this holy curiosity among the angels about what we have uh, been presented with, which is this opportunity to receive the gospel and to have relationship with our Savior. Uh, In Luke 15, verses 7 and 10, it tells us that the angels rejoice whenever one sinner repents, but they don't have the opportunity for that. In Job chapter 38, it says the angels were present at the time of creation. But so, so like they're spectators, they're, they're rejoicing at the, at, at the day of creation. You know, they're rejoicing when sinners repent, but they long to, to peer into these things. They, they, they don't have the same ability to have relationship and fellowship like we do. So that's why Peter says here, you know, angels desire to look into these things. You know, they, they don't enjoy the kind of relationship and fellowship that we have. They, they only have this holy curiosity from a distance, but they, they desire to, to look into these things. And then verse 13, he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, so I'm reading from New King James. It talks about girding up the loins of your mind. Um, I think ESV says, uh, or NIV says, prepare your minds for action. So this is kind of just... Uh, an old expression, but it's the literal Greek, and this is what it means. So back in the day when uh, men and women would basically wear dresses, uh, not because it was weird, because that's what tunics were, right? And so there were these long flowing gowns. And so in order to make haste, if you wanted to run anywhere, I've never tried to run in a dress, don't intend to ever try to run in a dress, but if you ladies know what I'm talking about, if you've ever tried to run in a dress, it's kind of a hard thing to do, especially if it's a long dress. So what they would do is they would tuck, they would reach down, they would take their tunics, their, their, you know, whatever gown that they had on, and they would fold it up and tuck it into their belt so that then they could run. So that's the expression about girding up your loins. And then Peter uses it as girding up the loins of your mind. So it's an expression that just basically says, get ready to run. 
Get ready to run this race. Prepare your minds for action. And so again, he's writing to people who have to be mentally prepared because they're facing constant opposition, constant persecution, and no doubt, as we are, constant temptation. And so there are things that we have to be mentally prepared for. We can't be caught off guard with this stuff. We have to be mentally prepared. Gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, it's, you know, we would say today, roll up your sleeves, like get, get ready here. And in particular, gird up the loins of your mind. So set your mind, prepare your mind for action. Be sober. In other words, be serious about your faith. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So again, this, this all speaks of future tense, even though we experience his grace when we're saved and we experience his grace every day of our lives. There's this, again, ultimate thing that he's pointing to. Because, you know, listen, when your life is in danger, uh, you, you can't really hold on to anything that this world has to offer. So that's why he's constantly saying, you know, listen, keep your focus on heaven, keep your focus on Christ, uh, prepare your mind for action, you know, guard your thoughts here, be sober about this, get serious about your faith. And so these are all his exhortations here. And then he adds in verse 14, as obedient children not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so you also be holy in all your conduct, circle the word conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I want to just spend some time here because uh, I think that a word that really needs to be recaptured, not only in Christian conversation, but in Christian conduct, is holiness. God calls us to holy living. Now, what exactly does that look like? And let's talk about it for a moment. Just kind of focus on this and and understand what it really means here. He says in verses 15 and 16, but as he who called you is holy, that is the Lord, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So the Greek word for for holy is hagios and it means to be morally pure and it also means to be set apart for God. The word holy or holiness is used in both ways. When you and I get saved, that is to say, when you and I come into relationship with Jesus by faith in what he did on the cross, we are, by virtue of that confession of our faith and trusting him as Savior, we are instantly set apart. We are made holy. And that's a work of God. That That is not anything that we can, you know, do ourselves. God makes us holy. And so in that sense, we are set apart. We are now, you know, we have a different purpose. We have a different, um, uh, um, entirely different heart. We have, you know, we've been transformed through faith in Christ. So he makes us holy. Okay. But then scripture also calls us to be holy, to walk in holiness, to conduct ourselves in a way that is honorable and pleasing and morally pure to God. 
So the Bible uses it in both ways in the New Testament. Hagios can mean set apart. It can also mean morally pure. Uh, in the one sense, it's what God does for us. In the other sense, it's, what, it's how we conduct ourselves. And so it's both. First Peter 1, 3-5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wow! Imagine that, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. This inheritance isn't subject to taxes or diminished by inflation. God is keeping this inheritance for everyone who lives by faith in His Son. There is so much great news wrapped up in just these few verses. Imagine what the rest of the book will contain. Pastor Gary Hamrick is working through the rich, encouraging book of 1 Peter in this series on Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry out of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. For more information, including location and service times, head over to cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'd love to see you here next time for more from Pastor Gary on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.